We're going to draw our text from Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. I want to uh, draw from, extract from just one verse of Scripture. If we could, Proverbs 22 and verse number 28. Does anybody feel like going on tonight, pressing on? It doesn't matter if trials come on every hand. I feel like pressing on. I feel like moving forward. Hey, man, I'm going to go on. It doesn't matter what the devil says about it. We're going to have victory and we're going to have revival. I believe it in the name of Jesus. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. If you're there, say amen. Let's read this together as one voice. Could we? Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. One more time. Let's read it again. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I feel like the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, that we are going to have to hone our skills of having a laser-sharp focus. I say that because I believe that Distraction is coming from every direction in this hour. And I believe it's easy to be distracted and pulled by the wayside. It is easy for us to get so caught up in the cares of life that we forget what is most valuable and most important. The sad thing is, is that it often takes really trying times for the most important things in your life to surface. And I believe that God is trying to get us to a place where we recognize what should have had paramount importance in our life before we have to get to the place where we recognize it out of desperation. I hope I'm making sense tonight. It's like there are things that that surface in our conversations that we wouldn't have had unless we got to a certain place. Our thought processes change because uh, we've had to think a different way. Perhaps you didn't realize how you would live without someone in your life or you didn't realize how you uh, could exist uh, outside of a certain situation. I hate to feel like we're always making reference to the elephant that's in the room with uh, this deal that we've been through in the last year uh, with sickness in the earth. But the truth of the matter is, is it hasn't been all bad. It really hasn't. It hasn't been all bad because it's caused things to surface in the lives of people that I I think maybe with some, they wouldn't have recognized without the desperate moment. Um, There were people now that uh, I'm a a little troubled with at this stage because Uh, And not the people per se, but with the actions. Because during that season of desperation when people were saying, I can't wait to get to the house of the Lord. I can't wait for the church doors to be open. There were backsliders that were watching. People lost without God watching. And we were getting very high internet traffic, which hasn't uh, slowed down much. We've actually had a lot of increase in the follows and the likes and the shares and all of that stuff on our site. Uh, but, But my point is that in a time of desperation, there were people saying, I can't wait for the doors to open because I'm going to get back to the house of the Lord. 
Well, now there seems to be some sense of normalcy that has returned to society. Um, I won't go into my opinions about all of that. I think opinions are ubiquitous. They're kind of like armpits. Everybody has a couple and most of them stink. That's the truth. And uh, opinions are everywhere and you can find them a dime a dozen. But the truth of the matter is that we're moving in the right direction. Cases are down, places are opening back up. We're seeing that there's not a lot of difference in places that have stayed open, so people are less fearful. They're, they're eating out. We're trying to get the economy boosted and going again. That's a good thing for us as Americans. I'm not 100% sure how good it is for backsliders and people that have got cold with God. Because the closer we get to normal, uh, what we knew as normal, the less desperate people are. Am I helping anybody yet? It's like something about desperation moves the heart of people to get closer to God. And once the trial is over, once the marriage is mended, once the, 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 the heartbreak is over, then we seem to find our way into what we can do. And there does come a time I preached a sermon. I don't have a clue when it was. It's been several years ago. I preached a sermon in this church called Learning to Live Without God. And there comes a place in your life that you can learn day by day to have a little bit less of God. And there's a saying that's going around right now that's so true, it's powerful. It says, the problem with missing church is after a while, see, somebody else is on Facebook, after a while, you don't miss it. And I'm not here tonight to preach about not being in church. I'm going to talk to you about some principles. I want to talk to you about the power of doing the right thing even when we're confident that God is in control and we don't have to worry and all of that. You know, that's the truth all the time, but you will go through seasons where your world feels rocked and you're going to wonder, what are you doing at least? Have you ever thought that? Like, God, like, I know your word says you're in control, but what in the world are you doing? And usually the answer to that is it has nothing to do with what he's doing in this world. It's what's happening outside of this world that's controlling what's going on in this world. So I want to say to you tonight that God is always in control. He's always got power. He's always able to take care of us. But we've got to learn to recognize that righteousness is necessary not just when our backs are against the wall. This ultimately leads to doctrines of like bedside repentance that, that have become uh, so famous in our society. And you know, I, I want to tell you something tonight, and I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I've heard a lot of stories about people who walked away from God and in their dying moments, they prayed and sought the Lord. Some of them broke forth and Prayed through the Holy Ghost. Some have been baptized late at the very end. Uh, but that's not something that I'm willing to risk. Do I believe that the mercy of God can do that in a hurry? I absolutely do. Do I believe somebody could live a full life and not live for the Lord, get to the end of their life, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and be saved? Sure, I do believe that. But my, my feeling about this is... I would rather give him my best while I've still got it. And I, I feel like the revelation 
is going to grip the hearts of people in the 21st century at some point. They say that the crazy part about history is that history repeats itself and we don't ever learn from what history repeats. But I want to tell you tonight, if you're wondering where in the world I'm going from our text, I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that if we're not careful, we're going to get distracted and we're going to fall away from the doctrinal understanding that if it was important then, it's important now. And the same thing it took to be saved a hundred years ago, it takes that thing to be saved now. And we, we cannot afford to get distracted and, and, and to allow the pressures of this world to cause our minds to shift and to change. Now, here's something for you to think about. I know that our text was drawn tonight from the book of Proverbs. So this was, this was pre-Messiah. This was pre-Jesus. But do you realize that when we preach and teach this chapter in Pentecost, we often refer to things that were not established as ancient landmarks? Until the early 1900s. And we call them ancient things. So what you must understand is that dealing with history. Things cannot be called ancient in scriptural understanding. Unless it deals with something B.C. Am I making any sense? And I'm saying that in a literal sense on your calendar. The ancient landmarks that were established by our fathers are not just talking, it, it is important, it's a great conversation piece, it's great preaching, it's powerful, but it's talking about things that were established in the order of God before Paul was ever converted. Now this same Paul, in teaching to his son Timothy, he said that all scripture, somebody say all scripture, he said that all scripture has been inspired by the Lord. It has been given by the breath of God. It is a God-breathed word. And he breaks off into saying that it is profitable for more than one thing. He said it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, for instruction. Now here's a little principle you need to get in your soul. When he said this to Timothy, he was not quoting the book of Timothy. The New Testament was being written while the apostles said that all Scripture. Do you know that all Scripture at that point was not including the New Testament? The New Testament is a confirmation and an affirmation of everything that the Old Testament brought us to. But there are ancient landmarks in our lives that we can't shake ourselves away from just because it's not popular anymore. There is more to the kingdom of God than just identifying ourselves with modern movements of Christianity and saying that's enough for us to be saved. I thank God for what my forefathers have taught. I thank the Lord for what even my great-grandfather taught and my grandfather and all of those things. But those in and of themselves are not ancient landmarks. It feels ancient to us because it's been going for a while. But the reason they preached what they preached is because they had connected themselves to a landmark that preceded what they were preaching in the present. 
And so I'm saying to you that if the church does not have some kind of a pivot point, some anchoring point in our society, that we will continue to move and there will be an aberration in our ways. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the further away we're going to get from landmarks. So I'm going to break down a couple of things for you right now, and, and I hope this will help you. I don't know why this is weighing heavy on my spirit. But I want to help somebody. Maybe it's somebody joining us online. And if you're joining tonight, we're very glad to have you online. But I want to help somebody tonight to get some understanding as to why it's important for us to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's important for us to continue because I am of the mindset, and there's a lot of people that don't like this, but I am of the mindset that if it was powerful enough to bring us here, it's powerful enough to take us where we need to go. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some things that are going to change. And there's even some dangerous stuff. And I've said it and preached it. And I think in context, it's okay. But even saying the methods change and the message don't can even get dangerous if we're not careful. Because there's a lot of things that change doctrine that are methodology. And we have to be very careful exactly what our motive is when we say we can change the method but not the message. Because to be quite honest with you, if we start changing some methods, then you can't help but change the message. You understand what I'm saying? And so I want you to know that I believe that separation from the world and godliness and all of that, it's, it's vitally important. But we need to understand the, the value of the context of that, okay? I feel like that what we have seen in my lifetime, and I can't speak for anything before me. I've heard stories uh, uh, by the, the thousands probably of the people that I've been surrounded with in my life. My wife says that I'm an old soul. I've loved to be with old, old men hearing old stories since I was a little bitty boy. But I've heard stories about the church being separated. Now, I'm going to make some of these young people pass out right now. So if anybody knows CPR, just do it. My grandfather used to tell me that his daddy preached it was gambling and it was a sin to play the nickel pinball machine. Y'all okay? We now have games and, and like a nickel's not a problem. It's like $1,000 for the deal and 65 bucks per game or more, whatever. And like all hours of the night, be 40 years old and still play in your mom and dad's basement. I mean, that sounds like, that's cool. That's, that sounds like a wonderful way to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm okay with my kids staying until they're 40. That's, uh, that's not the problem. The issue is that I have, I was raised, um, I know people look at, at our lives, and, and this is going to sound pretty rough. I don't, I don't mean it to, but I was in a lot of ways kind of raised for a few years on the other side of the tracks. People don't realize that because my mom and dad are sharp. Folks, I was raised in laundromats in towns that weren't the safest kinds of towns to be in laundromats in. 
We go preach places, and you know, back then you couldn't look online at the Google review. We lived in a trailer that was eight feet wide, 35 feet long, and did our laundry and laundromats. And there were very few things to keep peace in the mind of little children at laundromats, and one of them was Miss Pac-Man and Galaga. And if my dad put a quarter in, I never got to play. Because him and my Uncle Mike had played enough Pac-Man at Pizza King that they knew every course. Anybody here ever beat Pac-Man? Miss Pac-Man? Yeah, y'all are lying. Yeah, I beat Miss Pac-Man. I got, y'all want me to play the tune for you? Never mind, I'm not going to do it. Played a lot of it. And so I'm not trying to get sidetracked here and say playing games is a sin. Everybody knows that, right? I'm not getting sidetracked. My point is that it's amazing what used to convict people that doesn't convict them anymore. And when you talk to people about it, they'll say things like this. Well, that's just not a hill that I'm worth, that, 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 that's worth dying on. It's not a hill I'm going to die on. And so at some point, as a child of God, you have to ask yourself, how important does a hill have to be before it's significant enough to be a hill to die on? Am I, am I helping anybody yet? How, like, how significant does it have to be before I'm willing to say, this has nothing to do with heaven, nothing to do with hell, nothing to do with me being saved, and everything to do with me staying saved? Whoa. That right there went over like a zipper at a Velcro convention. So understand me when I tell you that I've heard all my life about separation and the importance of separation. But I'm I'm going to give you, and this is not a reproof or a rebuke tonight. I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing and why it's important for this church to continue steadfastly in what we believe. I believe that we have been consistent in the gauge of separation uh, in a large amount of Pentecost. A, a great portion of Pentecost has been consistent in the gauge. So for the sake of numbers, for those of you that have to have numbers for this to make sense, let's just say that the distance between the church and the world, would it be measurable? We were a mile away from the world, okay? Not that a mile's far enough. The scripture said in Luke, the 15th chapter, 15th chapter that the prodigal had to join himself to a far country in order to find the kind of living. He joined himself to a citizen of a far country. That man, his father's house, was a far way away from the life he wanted to live. So whatever that gauge is, but let's just use a mile. Let's just say that the church should be a mile from the world. So I ask you, as the world continues to dive headlong towards hell at a breakneck speed... Is a mile still enough in 2021? Because a mile away from what they were 21 years ago. Am I making any sense right now? So we got the world continually, and it's scary. It is very scary. Continually moving away in what John called the spirit of Antichrist. It's in the world now, in the earth now at work. If that spirit of Antichrist continues to work. So... 
What I'm saying to you tonight is if that spirit continues to move along and we just maintain that steadfast separation from the world all the way, how far do we have to follow the world until eventually what used to be worldly is now defined as godliness? Are you confused or am I, am I, am I breaking it down where, where we understand what I'm saying? I'm saying at some point the church has got to stop following trends and establish ourselves on the anchor point and say, if we're old-fashioned, then we're old-fashioned. But if, at, if this is a journey, and let's just, we're going to spread all these numbers out, I understand that, but if at mile marker 10, we started at zero and we're going to mile marker 20 and that's the rapture, and if at mile marker 10, the church is working at the halfway point, at what used to be considered just downright worldliness. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, you couldn't bowl, you couldn't ice skate, roller skate. At one point, it was like all that you were going to go to hell if you put roller skates on. And I think those are things that we've had to use wisdom. But what was the reason that they used to feel that way? Well, because bowling alleys weren't always a place for families to go. There was a time that the bowling alley was just a big old bar with bowling balls and bowling pins and bowling alleys. And so over time that changed and, it, it, you know, not all of them, but some of them that are still open, they're getting more and more rare. But it's some place you could go they, because they've served food, they quit smoking and quit, you know, all that. I mean, hey, we got to be careful because if there, there's some things, you know, if we went to Pizza Hut, 60 years ago, you were going to hell because they had alcohol. Well, dear God, Cracker Barrel's got it now. I can't, I'd never thought I'd... I mean, who in the world wants to have country ham and a brewski? You know what I'm saying? I mean, goodness gracious. When Bartle and James visits Cracker Barrel and decide to stay. It's amazing. But you, you, see, what I'm, you see what I'm saying in the business world, if I could extrapolate from that and, and make sense, Cracker Barrel is the new bowling alley used to be the problem. You see what I'm saying? If you wanted to drink before, you didn't go down to Ed's Diner where you could get beans and cornbread on the Monday night special to get your alcohol. You went there and got dinner, and then you went to the bar. Well, now the bar just moved into Cracker Barrel, and it don't feel like a bar. And so when we go to Cracker Barrel, we don't go for the drinking. I go for the biscuits and gravy and the pancakes. Went yesterday and Bishop bought my breakfast. And I wasn't one bit tempted sitting there eating them pancakes at 8.30 in the morning to order up a wine cooler. I just, I wasn't tempted. But I'm trying to get a point to you that the world has got to the place where lines are blurred all the time. It came into the pizza places, now it's in the family restaurants, and what you used to have to go hunting down now has come hunting you down. And the church is one place that we cannot afford to be the hunted. Woo. I'm trying hard right now to just stay focused, but you've heard me tell the story. Maybe, maybe you haven't. I, I, I'm pretty sure I told it here. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it was 
your pastor that told me the story, uh, which I'm really glad to see you guys here. Glad you're here with us. Brother Voskis told me the story that he was in Indianapolis. Of course, he was raised in Kokomo and had, had uh, been raised in Indianapolis all his life in this area. And he went down to, to Christ Temple where Bishop Haywood pastored. And if you've heard this story, just act like you had and smile real big. But Brother Voskis walked in and there was an elder there and he met him and invited him to come in, give him a tour. And he started explaining the layout of the building. He said, now this is different than it used to be. The platform was here where we're standing right now. And he started explaining how it laid out. And he said, then the conversation, I'm giving you the fast forward version, not the verbatim. But he said, as the conversation moved forward, he said, all of a sudden the elder just kind of got quiet. He said, he looked over and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, but it ain't like it was when the bishop was here. He said, we got more sin on the platform right now than Bishop had in the pews. Did y'all hear what I said? We've now got things in the sacred areas. That used to, somebody would have called out if it sat on the back row. But we've allowed people to become so comfortable in the feeling that there's really no reason to change. We, it, listen, it's not that the preaching has, has changed so much, at least I, not in this church. I can't speak for anybody else. But I preach very similarly to how I was raised. I still believe in white knuckle preaching. You know that kind of preaching that you squeeze on the back of the pews till your knuckles get white because you're scared to death to get out and go to the altar? I still believe in that kind of preaching. But the, the issue is that now we're so comfortable in the exhilaration of the moment that it doesn't bother us anymore. Even if the preaching is contrary to how we're living, we bless the preacher and say, man, he's a great preacher. And I'm thankful that he helped somebody today, but I'm really glad the Lord's mercy says that don't matter in my life anymore. It's brought, Lord Jesus, it's brought us to a strange place because Demas, Paul said, forsook me. And he, he left because he loved this present world. And so the problem now is that Demas doesn't feel uncomfortable enough to have to leave. Demas forsook him and had to leave town to do that. The prodigal son had to leave, go far to do that. And so if the, if the citizen of the far country continues to move, but our house moves with the citizen, am I helping anybody at all right now? Why is it important to us? Why does it matter? Why do ancient landmarks matter? Why don't we just disconnect completely from the Old Testament? Because you can't have the new without the old. And at some point, if, I, if I'm making any sense right now, if that continues to flow on the 0 to 20 mile marker and we get to 10, and now the church is at 10 and the world is at 11, what happens to 9 through 0? 
What happens to everything that used to matter, but it doesn't matter anymore? Woo. What happens to all of the convictions that used to grip our hearts? And when God would deal with us in our sweet hour of prayer, we come out with tears in our eyes and say, Lord, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss your will. I want to stay connected to you. I'm telling you right now that there will come a day in your life if you allow the trend of the world to set the culture of the church instead of the other way around, that we're going to arrive at a place where the church is unrecognizable. How many changes would have to be made in the father's house for the prodigal to feel like it's not even the home he left? Now y'all can believe whatever you want. I believe that when the prodigal came home, and I know it's parabolic form, so it's not even really a real, real story as in real life that happened, but it's happened in this church a thousand times. That a prodigal leaves. And I'm going to tell you, when the prodigal came home in Luke 15, I believe that his father's house smelled like it did when he left. I believe that it was decorated like it was when he left. I believe it felt familiar. I believe it smelled like home. I believe that when they put that fatted calf on and began to cook that meal, it was a familiar smell to him. He was in a place that he was comfortable being because it was the same thing that he left. But if the church continues to move further and further away, when the backslider, listen to me now, this is going to mess with your brain. This will mess with your brain. When the backslider comes home, the church could quite possibly be in a worse condition than he or she was when they left. Like when, that their life itself was. They considered themselves backslidden when that's what they started doing. And now it's just part of the church culture. I want to help somebody so bad tonight. I said before in my younger days that I would love, if there was a way to time travel, I'd love to bring my great-grandfather that I never got to meet. He died in 1968. I'd love to bring my great-grandfather in and preach a conference with him. And the older I got, the less that sounded like a good idea. Because I'm pretty sure that if I let my great-grandfather preach here, I probably wouldn't have a church left next week. <laughs> just just going to be honest. Because when I was a boy coming up, it, it wasn't probably quite as bad. But now we're a long ways from that. Like, I don't, I don't think any of these kids realize what a blessing it is to not have your name called out loud from the pulpit. God, I'll never forget that dark feeling when the whole world slows down and everybody in the church is looking at you. And you're just sick. You're like, oh, what's going to come next? And they'll say something like, you're going to finish this service on the platform. Get up here and sit down. So you got, you got to get up on the platform. What do you think, Wes? Is that a good idea? No? Would you like to come sit by your uncle? 
He's like, man, what I do? I was listening. <laughs> you love me, right? You're okay? Don't you lie in here. God will strike somebody. It's that, that, that understanding, though, that I, maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm weird. But when I, when I was a kid, y'all, I'm being honest before God right now. When we had prophetic ministers come in here that would give your zip code and all that stuff, I would, I would sit at home before church that night, and I'd search, my, I'd search my heart. I was like, God, I, I come into the old sanctuary, and I get up, and I just kind of pace back and forth. Like, is there anything? Because I just, I just knew that that prophet of the Lord, Brother Haney, was going to look at me and say, Son, you're a heretic. I'm like, Oh, God. I mean, straight up, I... We had this prophet used to come through here from time to time, and I had just been hitting the head a few months before that with a softball. I got hit really bad, gave me a concussion. Right back here, I was watching a fast-pitch team practice, and a guy hit a foul tip, and it hit me right in the head. It hit me so hard, it left lace marks from the softball in my head and knocked me kooky. Service was already over. Like, he was closing down. Like, it was closing down. This was months and months later. And he just stopped, and he looked right at me, and he said, the enemy tried to kill you with a blow to the head. I was like. I promise I wasn't at a major league ball game. I was standing out in the front yard. You understand what I'm saying? And, the, and he never did say anything about man, God's fixing to bless you financially. God's, God's fixing to prosper you. You're. He tried to kill you with a blow of the head, and because he didn't, you're getting a Mercedes-Benz. Well, shibboleth. My point is, you get to the place where you, you, you fear God. It's not that you're living out of being afraid, but it's like, and so as time progresses, and it's a little bit different now, I'm not, I'm not saying this facetiously to be ugly. My dad knows I honor him in the highest, but I'm saying if he and I did things today that he did early in his pastor, we'd probably get lawsuits. I'm just being honest. I mean, my, my grandfather would have been in court all the time. I'm, I'm being sincere. I mean, I don't know, if, being online, if I should call his name or not, but a, a, a precious man of God that we're connected to, my wife used to work for. If you know our history, you'll know who I'm talking about. Was just preaching uh, against homosexuality in his church south of here. And I think it was three or four times. Got a lawsuit. They were coming to church. People living that lifestyle would come to church just so they could hear him preach it and would sue him the next week. So, like, we've crossed over a different place. So my, my point to you very simply that I'm trying to make is we know the world's moving quickly. It's moving in that direction quickly. And so if we're maintaining that steady pace, then it's just enough that we can say, well, yeah, we're separated from the world. 
The point is we're as separated as we've always been. But how far have we come? Oh, boy. It's all kinds of quiet, and I think it's just because you're listening. So, what God is trying to do, I believe, is through this last year, He's been exposing and revealing some things with the wheat and the tear. I, I preached that sermon twice here. They grow together. I don't think I've ever done that, but I preached that sermon twice within one year. Same title, everything. I didn't even try to hide it. <laughs> Told you I was doing it. They grow together. The wheat and the tear, and that picture is not of the church and the world. It's a problem that's exposed in the church and the church. It's, it's only revealed at harvest time when it's time to bear fruit. They're in the same field, supposed to be doing the same thing. But when the fruit is revealed and there's no fruit there, they're separated, they're burned up, and the wheat's brought into the barn. So understand that there's going to be a different level of judgment for the sinner that chose to never walk with the Lord and for the preacher that used to preach against it but decided it wasn't necessary anymore. You don't have to believe what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart. I believe with all of my heart that hell is going to be hotter for some people. And that I'm not just talking about the, the temperature of it. There's no scripture that says it's going to be 1,429 Fahrenheit for you and 1,526 for somebody else. That's not my point. My point is somebody is going to spend eternity in hell listening to themselves preach. And, and others are going to spend eternity in hell listening to their pastor preach that tried to tell them, I have to come here. And God is trying to awaken something within us as the church to let us know, you are not the underdog because you still love me. You are not the underdog because you are still faithful to righteousness. Look, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to let the tail wag the dog, if you know what I'm saying. We need to be reminded we are the head and we are not the tail. The world does not dictate the culture of the church, but the church has the power. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. The church has the power to change the culture of our world. When the Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill, he did not stand there and acquiesce to the idea of the unknown God. He said, this is the God you believe in, and it's through superstition. He said, but let me introduce you to the real God. I believe it's time for Pentecost to reveal in this hour that we are the church of the living God. We need to show the world we're not going to be wagged around by this present world, but we are the children of God. We've been called by his name. We've been purchased with his blood. The Lord dropped this. I have no, honest to God, I have no clue how. This is how the Lord works with me. I read a book back in, I guess, 2015 and wrote down a story out of that book. And I just, I just happened to see it tonight. I've been to church all day today. 
trying to figure out which direction to go, and just like that tonight, just saw that my, oh, thanks. I really appreciate the heads up. I want to read this to you. If you get bored, just wake your neighbor up. The U.S. standard rail gauge, or the distance between two rails on the railroad, is exactly four feet, eight and one-half inches. Kind of a weird measurement, right? Four feet, eight and one-half inches. It's an odd number, but that's the way they built them in England, and it was uh, the English that built the railroads in the United States early, in the very beginning. So... Why did the English build their rails with such odd measurements? The same people who built the pre-railroad tramways built their rails with the gauge of four feet, eight and one half inches. And why did they build them like that? Now listen to this. The tramways reused the same jig, tools and measurements that had been used to build wagons, which used that same wheel spacing of four feet, eight and one half inches. Why did the wagons have particularly odd wheel spacing? If the spacing had been different, the wagon wheels would have broken on some old long-distance roads in England, which incidentally had wheel ruts in them at the exact same spacing. So who built the rutted roads? Okay? Now, this is crazy. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. The Imperial Roman Empire, the days of Jesus Christ, built the first roads in England thousands of years ago. These roads can still be walked on today. The ruts are spaced exactly four feet, eight and one half inches apart because Roman war chariots made the initial ruts. Every one of them had to match for the fear of destroying their wagon wheels and wagons since the chariots were made for and by the imperial realm, they were all alike in their wheel spacing. Are, are you following me? So the railroad that you see right now, right down here, both ends, there's railroad tracks, 53rd Street, are the width that they are because the Roman Empire had their chariot wheels that wide. Now I, could, I could go through this whole thing and, and, and bore you, but I'm fixing to mess with you right now. Now, the reason they had to be set like this is because... When the horse's rear end, and I'm not saying that in an ugly way, I'm saying the, the rear end of the horse when they were hitched up to make the chariot work. Now, this is kind of interesting that modern transportation was established by the backside of a horse. But it's true. It all came down to the width of the horse and the gear that they had to put on the horse to make it work in the yoke. So the wheels had to be spaced just like that. It wasn't because they got it out and said, I think geometrically this is correct and the camber of this is going to be just right. And No, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the width of the rear end of a horse. Okay? Now here's an interesting twist to the story. When you see a space shuttle sitting on the launch pad in Cape Canaveral, you're going to see two big booster rockets attached to the side main fuel tanks. They are called SRBs, Solid Rocket Boosters. They're manufactured by a company in Utah. You can find all this information for yourself. The engineers who designed them 
may have preferred to make them a bit wider, but the SRBs had to be shipped by train from the factory site to the launch site. So think about this. The rockets that are on our space shuttles that are taking us to outer space, the gauge was set by the Imperial Roman Empire. Who would have ever thought measuring the rear end of their horse that someday this is going to get us into another galaxy? Oh, y'all ain't even ready for me to preach right now. The gauge that was set thousands of years ago is what now determines how we get out of this world into another. I feel like telling somebody tonight, it's all right to be old-fashioned. It's all right for the world to look at us and call us crazy because the thing it took to bring the church right here is going to be the thing that's going to get the church out of here. Let people make fun. Let them say whatever they want to say. But I want to give God praise for the elders that did things I didn't understand and preached things I didn't know why they preached it. But here's what I know. It's going to get us out of here. My Lord, have mercy. You can stand. I'm done. So... Let's just erase this story. If now we erase the width of the Imperial Roman horse and chariot, then we change the width of the wagon wheel, and we change the width of the railroad, and we change the, 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 the width of the space shuttle, who's going to set the mark? Who's going to be the one that says this is as far as we can go? Can't go any wider than that. I have a dear friend that drives, he owns his own trucking company, and he, he pulls really long loads, like these big poles down here at Top Golf, the great big tall things. His company has the contract. They pull them all around the country. They're huge. He pulls them big old long loads of stuff. And you have to have special permits to pull anything like that. And he pulls government things that are, that are long. And they're not supposed to have oversight loads at night. And for some strange reason, when he pulls government stuff, he gets to drive off through the night. It's kind of interesting. My point is this. At some point, somebody said, this load is too big. I'm going to have to get a special permit to get by that rule. And you have to wonder at what point do special permits just get out of hand. And you're like, ah, I don't think it's necessary anymore, at least not for our church. So we're going to give a special permit to this congregation. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. After a while, you're going to have a space shuttle that has, has absolutely no gauge. And you're going to have to be re-guessing space systems, how you're going to get to space, because you don't like how chariots ran. And all I'm saying to you tonight is, I still believe that if you were to lay it over the top of the gauge, 
to lay that railroad system over top of the Imperial Roman roads, it all works. And tonight, if you were to lay the gauge of salvation over the top, I believe it's still exactly the width of repentance, baptism, in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Still believe it. I'm sorry, I don't believe you can change that and still get in. You have to fall in love with it for what it is. You, you can't make it what you want it to be because you don't like what it is. Sorry, babe, you're not going to space. You have to fall in love with it for what it is. We're not trying to change the church of the living God because we don't think God had a good idea. All I'm saying to you is on the day that we get out of here and we go to another galaxy and we leave this earth, you're not going to care about how wide it was. It's not going to matter to you how much it costs. It's going to be worth it all. I'm saying to the church of the living God, let's keep on being the church. Whatever it costs us, let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church tonight. I thank you for these precious, precious people of God. I'm thankful they love truth, Lord. I'm not preaching anything tonight that they don't love. And I plead the blood of Jesus over them. And I ask God that they would always love truth. And let us take truth to this world. Help us, God, to help other people to fall in love, to see how good you've been to us. I plead the blood over this church. And I ask God that we would always be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, keep us safe as we leave this house tonight. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it all in the mighty name of Jesus.